What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Terror Table, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts that you hear every week. My name is Mitch Oliver, and normally I'm joined by my co-host Boozy, but Boozy was unable to be here for this episode. But fear not, you will hear plenty of Boozy this month as we got a big schedule ahead of us, and we're planning on putting out a lot of Terror Table content for this spooky season. But for this episode, filling in for Boozy, I decided to invite my good friend and West Coast brother Arden Ross onto the Terror Table as my second co-host for this incredible interview that him and I were so lucky to be a part of together. I chose to invite Arden on for this episode because he is an incredible fine artist. He's a filmmaker himself, and he's just an all-around brilliant visual artist, which is something that we're going to be discussing today with our special guest. You'll hear more about our special guest once the episode plays, but I just want to give everyone a little bit of insight as to the other voice that you're going to be hearing on this episode. I'm so, so happy that I was able to bring Arden on for this one, and I think you're quickly going to realize why, because today we're going to be focusing on this incredible interview that we had with Chet Czar. You're going to hear plenty more about Chet coming up here, but I just want to thank everyone for tuning in once again. Thank you for sticking with us and being patient while we have not been very consistent with our episodes. But like I said before, I promise that's about to change. We got some really cool things coming down the pipeline. So without further ado, enjoy this incredible, super fun and magical episode with Chet Czar. All right. Uh, today, we are welcoming a very special guest to the terror table. This guy has truly run the gauntlet on all things spooky and macabre in the artistic world. He is a special effects makeup artist, designer, and sculptor behind various classic films such as The Ring from 2004, Hocus Pocus, Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy 1 and Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, The Haunted Mansion, Men in Black 2, Sam Raimi's Dark Man, and Chuck Russell's remake of The Blob. He worked on music videos for Tool and provided 3D animation for Tool's live shows. He is also a ridiculously talented fine artist, and he has a brand new book called Dystopia, Field Guide to the Dark Universe of Chet Czar, which takes us on a beautiful, grotesque, and lore-filled journey that lives inside of Chet's brilliant mind. It is our honor to welcome Chet to the Terror Table. Thanks so much for joining, Chet. Thanks for having me appreciate it yeah absolutely and i know uh like you have uh you have quite the history with uh, like you know horror films and um working in the industry leaving the industry and you know b focusing on fine art we're going to talk about all of that today uh, cool. but we are we're incredibly excited to have you join us here and before we we are a horror movie podcast let's just talk about horror movies a little bit so oh yeah i'm all about it Let's start off with uh, your relationship with horror films. Can you remember the first film that had an impact on you that drew you into the genre beyond like a surface level? Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, it was Night of the Living Dead. Um, I'm older than you guys, so. Uh... Hey, man, it's one of my favorites as well. I, <laughs> oh, cool. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. So I have uh, the Barbara, like oh. a big picture of Barbara. And even when I moved in with Arden here, he's like, "You're not hanging that in our living room." <laughs> you pointed at me when you said you pointed at me when you said Barbara there. And I was like, yeah. Like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but lo love that movie. Yeah, no, it's like it's. I think it's my all-time favorite horror movie. It's just I, I saw it when I was. Um, five years old maybe it, when they used to play it on tv so it was probably uh i don't know 74 or something and um it just had it just i you know it was what horror movies are supposed to do it's like i couldn't look away but i was really scared and terrified and horrified and it uh had this 
you know, it's got that documentary feel to it. It's really got this kind of gritty realism to it, which made it seem creepier. It reminded it made me think of like, uh, I don't know, news footage I'd seen on TV as a kid. Like I still remember, I remember like the tail end of the Vietnam War on TV. That's how old I am. And so it was like, you know, it was kind of like that to me. It seemed really real. Uh, anyway, it, I don't know if that's what started it because my love of horror feels genetic in a way. It just feels like what I, what I love. I don't know. I just, I've always felt attracted to it and intrigued by it and always looking for, you know, a good scare. Although, you know, it's like hard to find things that scare you in films anymore, even though I still love horror, but it's like, you can't get scared. Like you, you can when you're five. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's that's actually what I was going to another question I wanted to ask you is like, because obviously I know uh, that you do keep up with horror and everything. But is there are there some new horror films or like new ish that have really stood out to you over the years? Um, Let's see. You know, it's not that new anymore, because when you get old, time speeds up. So I think things are new that were like 10 years ago. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, but uh, I I really liked it follows that's it's kind of all, but I really dug that movie because I just thought it was so creepy and weird. It wasn't uh, traditional. It was like a weird idea and it was super creepy, man. That, that movie is two years away from being 10 years old. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. See, it's like, that's kind of like a new, newer movie to me. Uh, yeah. Hereditary. I liked hereditary. That's yes. newer, isn't it? Absolutely. The witch was pretty good. Yeah, big, big fan of The Witch. Uh, yeah, that was really cool. Uh, I, you know, my only issue with that movie is is that uh, it's great. It's excellent. It was amazing. I loved it. But um, I'm really kind of a, against the 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 tropes of the occult in horror movies because it's always wrong. Because it's because it's like I study real occult. And yeah. real occult is not evil and it's not, it's like witches are not evil. And all of that stuff is like based on crazy, crazy fundamentalist pilgrims uh, mm -hmm. burning witches back in the day and the inquisition. It's like all that stuff. That's where like so many of the, the uh, horror tropes about like the devil and, and black magic and all this stuff comes from a complete misunderstanding of the whole thing. And so I'm always, every time I see it, I'm always like, oh man, <laughs> it's like they did it again, but it's like, I still love the genre. So I have to kind of just go like, you know what? It's just a movie. It's yeah. It's just, uh, just stories. Yeah. It's it, just stories, but it's like a prejudice, you know, it's like it really, it's like a prejudice, you know, people that I'm sorry, go ahead. No. Yeah. I kind of feel like a horror movie five-year-old because I'm not the biggest horror movie guy. And I moved in with Mitch and. He's kind of slowly showing me the ropes. I know I'm on a horror movie podcast right now, but <laughs> like everything scares the fuck out of me. Oh, you're so yeah. lucky. So, yeah. So yeah. he's like being gentle and showing me like we started with the universal monsters. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And so he's easing me in, but it's, it's really fun, but it's absolutely terrifying. Oh, good. Yeah. You're lucky. You're lucky then. I wish yeah, I could start, start and starting late. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm <laughs> so desensitized at this point. You know, the, 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 the one thing that, um, has scared me as an adult you know with the last few years like horror movies used to scare me when i was a kid are uh vr horror games yes oh man like, outlast and p2 i i i only had the oculus so i'm like i, I i'm not hooked up to my computer 
Like my yeah. kid, my kid hooks up to the computer so he can get all the good games off Steam mm-hmm. and stuff. But so it's like I'm just uh, uh, only have what's available in the Oculus Store. But like the Walking Dead uh, yeah. game, I, I played it. Scary! Yeah. It's super scary. It's I like, took you it know, off. It's, you, I I did too. I kept having <laughs> yeah. to take it off. Like, oh, it's shit. like it's like it's uh, you know it's not real, but it be, it's like it just messes with your brain. But you got to do that reality check where you take it off and yeah. you look around the room and you're like, all right, I'm back. I'm I know. Here. It's like, I, it's so ridiculous. It made me feel like such an idiot. But it was like, uh, this is uh, this is how I used to feel when I watched Night of Living Dead when I was five years old, you know? Yeah. Did you play uh, the Resident Evil 7 Biohazard? Did you play that on no, VR? No. Oh, man. No. That, was, that was the first thing that I ever was exposed to on VR. And, like, you know, both you and I were desensitized to this shit. Nothing gets to us. And uh, I remember, like, we, my friend videotaped me playing it. And I was like, this is, this is just too much. It's too it's much. Too much. <laughs> it feels like it, it's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah, it's a great But movie. I don't want to live in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like there's a whole different perspective when you're when you're literally there. Yeah, no, it's crazy how far we've come. And yeah. I totally agree that, that that's one way to really get your scares, scares in these days. Yeah, imagine in five years and 10 years, you know, they yeah. say that you're you're not, I think it was, I heard maybe a year ago that in 10 years, you're not going to be able to see the little screen or the little dots, you know, the little artifacts and stuff that yeah. make it look like VR and, and it'll be like clear, just as clear as day. And it's like, that'll be crazy when you can just step into a full reality yeah you know? no absolutely no it, it's exciting but equally terrifying yeah <laughs> um one i would recommend though a new one that's that's out now i just saw barbarian have you heard about that one no yeah it's a brand new horror movie it's i'm not sure if you're a fan of like uh, actually i'm not going to say anything the less you know the better for example i invited arden to go see it with nope. me watch the trailer <laughs> And yeah. he was like, no. And then he ended up staying home and he, you can just read everything that happens in a movie. And right. so I, I came home from the movie and it's like, I was talking with someone who was with me. I went down the <laughs> rabbit hole and I just cut like, as soon as I started reading, I was like, Oh my God. Oh my, Oh my God. Like, it's I, a wild one. Yeah. It got okay. Weird. Heavily oh, Sam Raimi. Like very oh, I love Sam, Sam Raimi. Yeah. I love Sam Raimi. Is it, I, I prefer supernatural horror over like slasher stuff. It's a bit of both. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough to it's <laughs> tough to say. I'm I'm the same way. But yeah, let, let's get let's talk a little bit more. I want to I want to hear more about horror. So you're you're a big fan of Night of the Living Dead, um, mm-hmm. but you eventually found yourself in, working within the industry as a special makeup effects artist, and you worked on some crazy movies. And I'm wondering if there was like one movie or or a couple of movies. I don't know if Night of the Living Dead was this one that just kind of you saw it and you're like, I want to do that. No, yeah, there, no, there was there was two. It was um, Dawn of the Dead, yes. and uh, the Howling. Those were oh. the two where I was like, "Oh my god!" I completely blew my mind, and I and I had to know how they were doing that. And um, you know, this is back in the day before the internet, so it was like, you know, you had to go to the library and see, do they have any books that tell you how to do this? No, not really. But you know, there's this make stage makeup book. Uh, that you can get and like weird you had to like really search around for stuff there was fangoria magazine or famous monsters magazine even yeah. back then and so uh, i would get any books i could find and uh, eventually through um you know reading different books and magazines i kind of started figuring out how to do it i found a local makeup place that sold 
stage makeup and stage blood. And I used to, um, uh, oh yeah, my friend's dad, actually my friend's dad, I was probably 12 years old and, um, he was a nurse training to be a nurse, I think. And they had like a fake, they had to run drills for people, uh, for like training for nurses and uh, medics and stuff. And so they, they, they would have, you know, wounded people that, you know, were in an explosion or something was the yeah. drill. And so then they'd have to do makeups on these people to make them look like they were burned or had broken bones. And so he had this shoe box that had all, you know, mortician's wax, grease paint, and a little booklet on how to do all these, you know, broken nose, bruises, how to do a burn with latex and tissue paper and things like that. And um, I remember he gave me that. I guess he didn't need it anymore. And, and that was like this, you know, amazing. I started doing burns all over myself and, you know, making it look like I had a chicken bone stuck out of my finger. And how old was, were you around this time? I was like 12, like 11. Wow. 12. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. finding finding your little Bible here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, man, this is so cool. Um, and, you know, th there was that Dick Smith had a, had a makeup kit. Actually, I started probably at nine age nine or 10. Um, and, and you were in the LA area. So, or were you in the LA area? I was in San Pedro, which might as well have been in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's like right. South Bay, um, 45 minutes from LA. I mean, you could drive there, but it was like, it's way, it's like at the end of the Harbor freeway, the 110 freeway, right. way down there. Um, uh, so it was kind of like its own. It's like its own weird little place. So um, I wasn't really connected to Hollywood or LA or anything, mm -hmm. but um, you know there was the Dick Smith makeup. Uh, do you remember these? The Pressman makeup kits. Dick Smith is the guy who did the makeup in The Exorcist. Absolutely, and... yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, um, I got. Uh... Honestly, I knew I learned about that stuff way later. It was from my like you know I my film school was special features and making ofs and stuff like mm. that. That was my version of like yeah. famous monsters magazines oh, and Fangoria cool. mm -hmm. and uh, like The Exorcist making of was such yeah. a huge thing for me. So all of Dick Smith's stuff that he does in that it's it's crazy. Yeah, it was he, yeah he was like he's considered the godfather of modern makeup effects, and so anyway he did these makeup kits that were amazing. Like they had um, vacuform molds and this gelatin material, and you cast out you pour the gelatin in the mold, and and you made these prosthetics. And so that was probably my first experience with gluing prosthetics on my face. Uh, so I was into it from an early age and around uh i think around 12 13 somewhere around there i start i sculpted my first mask i learned how to make a mold and uh got some clay and then i started making masks and then i realized that i could maybe do this for a living um because you know seeing it in fangoria magazine seeing that there were shops around and and learning about these makeup effects guys because you know the 80s early 80s was like the heyday for all this stuff and so i started just sculpting and i was obsessed with makeup effects and i did it all throughout high school and kept a portfolio with the intention of getting a job when i got out of high school and uh, i didn't go to college i almost went to an art college and then at the last minute i was like i just want to go i already know what i want to do and no colleges there isn't a college that teaches you that so i'm just going to go for it and um so yeah about a year after um high school I, I ended up getting a job uh for let's see 
uh, in high school, I worked for a friend of mine who did music videos and a couple of low budget movies. Um, Nomads, this weird movie, Nomads. Oh, with Pierce Brosnan? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He did like shrunken heads. That movie I, is... I just uh, left a conversation about Pierce Brosnan. That's <laughs> crazy you brought that up. <laughs> Man, so, I, what like, are the chances? That's okay. So I think we've done like, 250 episodes of this and that's the first time someone's mentioned nomads <laughs> oh I, well um okay there's gonna be some more um yeah that was like my mom would write a note for you know basically let me play hooky and drive me up to hollywood to go and stay with this uh friend of my brother's who was a makeup effects artist in in college doing these music videos he did the quiet riot bang your head video oh, metal health with that mask he did the mask for the video he did nomads he did uh what's that charlie sheen the wraith i worked so, i worked oh, on wraith that's, jesus yeah, that, that's <laughs> another nomads <laughs> I knew, that's what i said there's gonna be more yeah uh, and uh it was you know i was like a kid i was 16 or 17 he did uh, magic Mal mountain halloween haunt when I was 15 and so I was working for him there taking ditching school and, and working on that making up people for the uh Halloween haunt thing and anyway so yeah I got I ended up doing some uh stuff for this guy Jim Beinke a good one of my best friends now um and then I got a job at uh John Beekler's shop and oh worked, shit <laughs> I worked on Cellar Dweller it was my first um movie wild and uh went to Italy 18 years old first time in an airplane first time out of the state man so you've been doing this like you started that very young hey like yeah yeah because right high school yeah like i think about that that's stuff uh like what i had mentioned before is that you worked with people like you know sam raimi Guillermo del toro tim burton and that list just continues to go on and it's like it's crazy. How, what, what was the feeling like when you landed up like obviously those are all like super fucking cool horror projects to be a part of but then like stepping foot on a sam raimi set like where oh yeah this is the guy who made the evil dead and at that yeah. point he was already a well-established director and what like what was that feeling like where oh, you're, you're now you're now working with one of the gods yeah it was amazing i was a huge huge sam raimi fan um yeah. and he was super cool he was a great guy super creative that's what i hear yeah not a jerk at all he was really cool he actually I had a band at the time and he actually came to the whiskey to go see my band, but he came yeah. right after we finished. <laughs> we had just finished and he got there late, but it was so cool that he showed up, you know, cause I was on the crew and it was like, I was working for Tony Gardner and Tony kind of got oh him to go and uh, to, to go to the show. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Liam Neeson. We were doing a makeup on Liam Neeson and it was like, nobody knew Liam Neeson. Uh, he was dating um, uh, Julia Roberts. And she came on the set. <laughs> of she Dark came Man. in the tree. Yeah, she came on the set, and it's like nope, she hadn't. She wasn't a star yet. Nobody knew who she was. Right. Like, oh, there's Liam. Yeah, girlfriend. that year it's not. There's Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Yeah, oh. yeah. No, it was like nobody. You know, nobody knew who she Wild. was. Like, yeah. So it was. It was cool working uh, with Sam. He was great. It was awesome. I, I got a Liam Neeson story. I was working at this tattoo shop on Granville Street, which is basically in Vancouver. That's like the entertainment district. So like right where all the nightclubs are. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty late, like 1130. And I like wanted to leave. And my boss was like, no, no, it's pretty busy. Like, I, and I had only been tattooing like two years. So I was on walk in duty, you know, like I took all the drunk riffraff off the street. And this like 
girl comes in and the girl comes in and she wants this tattoo and it's this really weird like obscure drawing like one that she did and you know as a tattoo artist like when you get one that's like oh I, I drew this you're like okay here we go but this huge guy walks in next to her but his hat's down real low and he's in my little office and i'm looking at him i'm like holy like that's fucking Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> like, and anyways, he was he was the coolest, coolest dude. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but just to realize, awesome. like, I wasn't nervous doing the tattoo till I realized I was tattooing in front of a Jedi. And, like, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I got real nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was like on Dark Man. It was no I don't think he that was one of his first movies, I think, or at least in the United States. So yeah, he was like a, a no name guy. Yeah. It wasn't like really till Schindler's list that he, <laughs> he really took, took off yeah. to a whole other level. Yeah. But... Gangs of New York. He was. In yeah. Gangs of New oh, York so and, good. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It was... Super great. Super great guy too. I was going to say he couldn't awesome. have been more, more polite. And... Yeah. He was, yeah, he was, he so was cool. awesome. Really. That's great. awesome. It's the best when you have those stories about these people that we actually really yeah. admire and everything. Yep. But like, you know, in terms of sculpting and makeup effects, it just doesn't seem to get bigger than Tim Burton, you know, Tim Burton and Guillermo yeah. del Toro, especially yeah. in that era, in that era. But mm -hmm. uh, so I just, you know, I've never met Guillermo, but there was like, for I also don't think I've told you this yet, but you're going to kick off our, we always make a big deal about October, like Halloween, oh, cool. spooky season. You're going to be our first episode in October. Um, <laughs> I think it was a short four years ago. Our episode was just listeners sending in Mitch and Guillermo del Toro erotic fan fiction. <laughs> so this is a lot better. I'm a very, I'm a very big Guillermo fan. Oh, um, me too. Yeah, he's great. He's great. He's amazing. But not, not to mention, like you know the the worlds that that man builds, and uh, like you know being what, what's the process like when you go in with someone like that who already has a vision and you know has such a profound mm -hmm. respect. I, I could be wrong, but from what I've seen in interviews, he has such a profound respect for fine artists like yourself mm -hmm. and people who generate, you know, the macabre and stuff like that. Did you have any kind of creative input at whatsoever? Mm -hmm. uh, were you able to kind of? Yeah, it depends on for so for the for Hellboy, uh, I was working at Rick Baker's shop and um, uh, Matt Rose brought that show in. And um, uh so that's where I first met Guillermo and I think he was aware of my artwork at that point. I was, I was trying to be a fine artist, but I was, you know, cause I did All that right. for seven years. I was doing two jobs. I was like working on effects in the day and at night and weekends I was doing, doing painting for shows and learning how to paint really. I very much feel that hustle, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Arden yeah, works was... in the, the industry as well. Yeah. And is a fine artist. And oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it's why I was fine artist from eight to 10 PM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what you got to do, man. Yeah, it's I'm like trying. it's brutal. It's like you, you know, that, but that's why not you know if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's like it takes yeah. it. It takes you know. It's like you have to commit to working you, two jobs. For, you got to want it. Yeah, yeah, and it's brutal, man. It's not easy. Um, but uh, so so I met Guillermo there. We got along well. Um, he's he's the best he's like he's like how you think he is he's like how he's in interviews he's super fucking cool i was gonna ask um, that question because he seems like such a character in interviews he's, the, like he's, he's, a, he's like he's exactly like he is in interviews. he seems like a character in his own movies <laughs> he's a bit like from a fairy tale that yeah, that guy yeah with his big yeah. glasses and 
Yeah. He's so he's like one of us. That's the cool thing about Gamera. He's that one of cool. us. And he's 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 one of us in the sense of like as a horror fan, he's one of us uh uh in, in the sense that if you know he's a makeup effects guy. He used to have a makeup effects shop in Mexico. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. He so oh. he knows makeup effects and uh and he's an artist, you know. So he's like he's totally like you know, effects people feel like Guillermo is one of us because he's like an effects guy that went and made their own movie because all effects guys and girls want to make their own movies. Right. And, you know, it's like he did it. And so, but, and he, he respects effects people. And, and that's going to garner respects. That's going to garner respect among the crew and the. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Everybody loves him. Everybody loves him and yeah. he deserves it. So, um, you know, Hell, um, Hellboy, it was like, uh i sculpted his right hand of doom whoa um, <laughs> <Sorry>. familiar <laughs> huge hellboy fan me and well, well <laughs> me and matt matt and i did i think matt did the fingers and the the hand and i kind of did this arm part um but it was like you know mike mignola he had he talked to me it's like mike him and mike mignola were there and he's like here's mike mignola's thumbnail sketch of the right hand of doom and wow and so i kind of just like copied the basic um uh shapes and the the weird carvings and stuff but <clears throat> it was a line drawing you know you you know his work is it's amazing but it's like yeah. it's it's a line drawing there's a lot to interpret so i just um you know i got to do broken cracked old stone which is one of my favorite things in the world to sculpt so so i had a i had fun with that so i, I did that and i like you know, I was just sort of like whatever needed to be done. I didn't do like, I didn't sculpt this face. That was all Matt. Um, but I sculpted that. I helped Matt detail the body uh, that when Hellboy goes shirtless and I painted his horns. Um, and, you know, I don't know what else I did. But on Hellboy 2, uh, I actually was the the kind of the most amazing experience for me because Guillermo at that point was collecting my paintings he was like totally aside from the business. He was he's he owns like some of my best paintings. He's that's he's amazing. Got, yeah, he's yeah. got a big collection. In his he, fucking gorgeous place too. Yeah, like yeah. I, I have books on his house. Yeah, I, I wonder if you're, I wonder if you're in that book. I wonder Guaranteed, if I can see you on yeah. the wall. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe I was it's in like, that exhibit he did. He did that traveling exhibit. Yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah. I, I had some pieces in that. So uh, he. He was buying everything I did for a while there, and then he finally said, "I'm I'm not buying your work anymore. I'm a chetaholic. I gotta stop." Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like he doesn't have room, man. It's like if you go to that house, it's every surface is covered. Yeah, and it's and he has to just like stop himself. But he did buy something after that. Oddly enough, he bought this big sculpture. I did this big head with this gross heart shaped. You got him to yeah. <laughs> cancer whole thing yeah yeah so so i did get him again but um and he create he turned your name into a verb that's got to be quite the honor yeah yeah he you know he also put me in the stand or not oh. the stand the uh the uh the strain his novel the strain oh, he damn, put me yeah. he put me in he referenced me as like one of the characters collects high-end creepy weird art like <laughs> from people like chet czar and mark <laughs> Yeah, it's so it's like I'm men mentioned in a in a work of fiction, which is like so cool. That is cool. Um, yep. so so uh, Hellboy two, it was like a different story. Like Hellboy one, I was like kind of shy. I just met him. I uh, I was quiet, and we didn't talk a ton. Hellboy two, you know, I'd known him from selling artwork to him more, and um, he said uh, like in a meeting, 
one of the the production meetings with all the you know art heads and everything he was he uh he referenced the Praetorian guards and he was telling, you know, he's telling the design production crew. It's like, he said, reference the work of Chet Czar. I was like, Whoa, wow. You know, Mike Mignola was like, who? And again, was oh, like, Chet Czar, and he pointed over at me. <laughs> I, like, I, <laughs> I can only imagine that Mignola would be a huge fan of your stuff though. Cause yeah, he, he's I, one I, of my favorite artists as well. Yeah. Like, he's amazing. Oh, those, yeah. those he he's amazing too. He's such a cool guy, man. Your beautiful um, book that we're going to talk about at some point uh, today. Gorgeous. It it <laughs> it lives right next to I have those like velvet uh, oh, cool. covered Hellboy special editions. Those are my what favorite a, books I own. And what, uh, what an honor! That's an honor. Uh, but but what my point was that Hellboy two. So I had there was I had kind of a different relationship with him because I I was building this career and everybody at that point knew i was trying to get out of the effects business and become mm. a fine artist and um he let me uh there was a character called the 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 um chamberlain which is like in the movie in hellboy yeah. 2 just for a few seconds and um he let me just design it on my own which was like whoa that's so cool he so he's like just do come up with a design it's he's the king's right hand man and 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 so i i did a maquette of and it looked like one of my paintings wow. yeah it does look like it looks like when yeah. you're painting it up wow and uh he's like okay yeah go for it and i was like whoa because usually you know you do a few designs and he just went with it he said he said it's going to be on doug jones and the only thing oh. is it has to be it just has to blend off around his mouth other than that you could do whatever and i was like okay and so i just made it blend off and i did this weird head shape and yeah so so I got to, you know, it was really a big deal for me, especially for on a Guillermo del Toro film to be able to um, design something like that. And, you know, for somebody like him. So that was uh, amazing. That was one of the coolest. It's, it's cool how much it looks like one of your paintings. Yeah. I had people telling me like, it looks like one of your, that looks like that character looks like a Chet Czar painting. And I was exactly. Like, awesome. Well, that's really neat. That's Because <laughs> really it was cool. like prior to that, it was, you know, it, it, you're you're a pair of hands in effects, you, you know, as even the high highest end sculptors and stuff, they're like interpreting designs from a creature designer or a director. Yep. And you're kind of being told what to do and art directed. And it's not really your thing. 100%. I, I, I'm very much going through yeah. that right now where, where I've like, I've been doing it for six, seven years now and the, the novelty is wearing off, you know, yep. like I, <laughs> I know where I, where I'm not as, chipper at work as i once was and yeah you know well you're telling other people's stories other people's ideas and yeah 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 being able to put a real piece of yourself in there has got to be really rewarding yeah 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 for sure because you know it's 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 in film it's always especially in film you know they're trying to make it they're they're they want it you know you're trying to make the coolest design ever and they're trying to be like not guillermo i'm talking about generally and right guillermo's an exception to the rule but you know, they're trying to make it like whatever sold last year, whatever was popular yeah. last year, make yeah. it more like this. thing. Let's make popular. four of those. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. make it less scary or make it, you know, whatever. So it's kind of like you, it, 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 it's, you know, gets on, gets on your, wears mm -hmm. on you after a while. Yeah. And neuters you. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, man, this, uh, you kind of teed it up perfectly for me because I do have a question about how, like you, you did eventually leave the, that you left the film industry behind to focus on fine art. And mm -hmm. um, from what I understand, you just re like you're saying, you were no longer feeling really fulfilled from it. But I wanted you to tell the story to 
our audience and also, you know, me, because uh, mm -hmm. I read that you received some advice and direction from a horror legend. Mm, yeah. And uh, can you tell us how that went? Because uh, the, the character of the Chamberlain also reminds me of a Cenobite from from hellraiser oh, yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. i got to imagine that <laughs> you take this story away because i read about this and i want to hear it from your words okay yeah i uh i first discovered clive barker at a a horror convention when i was like 15 or 16 years old books of blood weren't even out in the united states yet and this guy's like I was looking at a Stephen King book at a, at a bookseller and he's like, if you like Stephen King, check this guy's stuff out. I got these English imports and it was the English version, English uh, pre printings of books of blood. So I like read him completely blew my mind. I was an instant huge fan. And um, so then in the nineties, when I was working for Alterian studios, I worked there for like 10 years for Tony Gardner. We worked on, lord of illusions oh and, man i just watched that again yeah <laughs> and that was based on i didn't do i don't think i even did anything on it because it was like a shop and things come in and you sometimes you work on things and there's like five shows going on at the it same was time. super vfx heavy too for yeah, like the, yeah. for the time like and that's like if there's anything that holds that movie really back it's that that's also part of its charm now watching it is like right. this was that peak era where they were trying so hard to use vfx but they were not ready right yeah absolutely yeah uh we did let me see steve johnson did like the prosthetics and stuff and then we did these squid head things i might have sculpted one of those maybe i don't remember but yeah it was like they did these squid looking heads we did them out of hot melt vinyl which was like this high-tech material and um anyway so we met clive that way whoa we're looking at it right now <laughs> yeah it's barely in the movie it's bare it was like super fast cut um and we were going to do a toy line with him and so me and tony went to his house in beverly hills to have a meeting with him got on with him really well super another super cool guy brilliant genius clive was just you know he he was he had a, just a million brilliant ideas he was just tossed off the top of his head total genius but he but the other thing the thing about him that impressed me um because I, I was really young i was man i don't know whenever that was probably early 20s or something but he was like uh super business smart business minded too he was right. like if we do this we could merchandise this and it was like what a it just and like create but creative marketing ideas yeah. it wasn't like crappy we could exploit this it was more like this would be so cool to make this you know book he he had this he was like it'd be really cool to make a book i don't know how we got on this for a movie that never existed like imagine the wizard right. of oz making of the wizard of oz book a oh, wizard God. of oz type of movie yeah. but like a dark horror movie like the mm -hmm. wizard of oz and you make this book like it was a real movie but it, it, it's not a real movie but the that's that the book and it's like that was such a cool idea he just like tossed it off like it was no big deal <laughs> just in the middle of conversation you know yeah but yeah. uh anyway went went in his jacuzzi he turned the red light on so it looked like there's blood in the jacuzzi i was like <laughs> my fanboy dream it was like this is the coolest shit ever he has such sights to show you <laughs> and, and he, so anyway i had that connection with him and then there was a problem we ended up taking another show instead of what clive was working on 
that Clive wanted us to work on. I didn't want, I didn't agree with this decision, but we took this other job, this stupid gorilla movie. No. And, um, Is it Congo? No, 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 <laughs> no. I was about to say Congo's not stupid. No, no. <laughs> it was called Born to be Wild. Oh my God. <laughs> Imagine taking that movie over a Clive Barker project. Come on. Holy fuck. Yeah. That's got to crush the soul. But at the same time, what's so funny is like, I w- like, I was a child when that came out. So I watched, I remember renting born to be wild. We same, ate it up. I rented that the same day. I rented the bride of Chucky. Oh, wow. Like, wow. so it was like that, that's it. That explains why I'm such a deranged nut, but like born to be man. What? Born to be wild. All right, sorry. Yeah, so we made that gorilla movie. It was cool. Uh, I, I, it was a good experience. It was in other ways, but uh, uh, I met some cool people on there. Anyway, so that, so then we didn't have a really a connection with Clive anymore, except I had his number. <clears throat> and so, fast forward to me working at Rick's, me getting to this point where it's like I got to get out of this. I got to get out of makeup effects um jurassic park had happened at that point and everyone was like oh shit it's you know it's over for us you know we got to move into the future as like jobs were starting to shrink um i started learning digital stuff because i got really interested in in making my own 3d animated movies i thought that would be so much fun i used to make movies when i was like nine years old with my dad's super eight camera and so i got really into digital 3d animation this is like 90 mid late 90s and um and so i just started making these looping animations that were like dark weird looping animations and just creepy weird stuff like you would think i would do and um like a gif right yeah 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 like and stuff stuff that would go into tool videos yeah which (laughs) they eventually i did the first first one i did was based on this acid or mushroom trip where was the acid trip i had (laughs) this vision i saw and i made it into a cg animation looping cg animation and i was like it was so cool and um tools like i showed it to my friend adam jones the guitar player tool who used to be an effects guy where that's where i met him yeah and um He's like, hey, can we use that for our show? And I was like, yeah, of course. And so he's they they still use that that animation, and I subsequently did a bunch of other animations for them. But anyway, so I had this these looping animations I put on a VHS tape. <laughs> That's how long ago it was, and I and I was like my demo reel. I was thinking I can get into makeup or I can get into digital effects, right. you know, as a, as a way of getting out of makeup effects. I I was totally in that service uh you know service industry mindset rather than being my own independent fine artist i just what i i out since high school i was working for other people so mm. i just did, couldn't really wrap my mind around the idea that i was good enough to do my own thing and um so i sent clive a tape and i called him and i was like do you have any work for me and um uh he's like no we don't have any work for you but i saw your tape and i really think you should you have a vision you really should be you know think about getting into fine art and i was like hmm Hmm. that's kind of cool and right around that time i was getting into like i just discovered brahm the the brahm book and i was like wow people this guy is an you know he's making cool art that i can tell i dig this and he's kind of doing his own thing as a fine artist he was doing illustration but he's also doing his own fine art 
and uh, Mark Ryden was p- published yep. a book, and I was like, I had bought this CD-ROM called Nine back when CD-ROMs were a thing, and Mark Ryden designed <laughs> it, and I was like, this is so cool. It was like the art direction was amazing, and it was like this fine artist guy who was doing this weird shit. And so I was seeing like a path, like there are fine artists uh, that are doing really cool stuff. So I uh, started considering to maybe maybe get into fine art and maybe that was the way because I, I started after that, I started a digital company, um, did a few small projects, but I just could not get it off the ground. And um, so I eventually just gave up on digital entirely, except for the tool stuff. I was able to do small gigs like that. And um, yeah. And eventually I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to do, I'm going to do makeup effects type stuff like as fine art so i did a sculpture this sculpture called soft spot which i used all the techniques i had learned up to that point to do this realistic creepy weird sculpture and um it just and i was like this is what i want to do and then it took me a year to do it and the mold was expensive i didn't have any money um and it was like i can't make a living doing this so i thought Mm. well i'm gonna start painting in oils because i can i know i can paint I, you know, I think I can paint. I've kind of dabbled with it. I've got a strong drawing background. I do. I know Photoshop. I, I, I was designing creatures and all that stuff, but I right. never re- really seriously considered oil painting partially because my stepfather's uh, was a fine artist. So I grew up seeing how hard it was for him to make a living. Yeah. Um, so around 2000, I was working on planet of the apes. I was in the trailer on set painting, monkey gloves that were coming back from fight scenes battle scenes that were all scuffed up and it was just so boring and it was that's my job right now i know i know what you mean (laughs) what what do you mean (laughs) like touch touching them up after oh yeah 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 it's the worst fucking i mean it's like just the just the onslaught of swords that i touch up yeah it's so it's like and it's like they never look as good as when they're fresh and you're just like covering these things up and they and it's never it's like hard to it's it's just thankless work and boring because you're sitting there for like 10 hours and then you get a bunch of stuff and you have to do it all fast yeah i'm gonna be uh, so grumpy tomorrow at work (laughs) (laughs) so sitting in the trailer i had been considering being a painter um but i wasn't sure i could do it and i was and i had all these acrylic paints out and um i had my sketchbook and i was like okay i'm gonna try and just do a little painting while i'm sitting here because i don't have anything to do anyway and if i can paint something right now then i'll i'll do this i'll try it and i painted this little painting and it looked good and i was like oh okay i could do this i could i could paint i can i can do it and so then i was just decided to go for it and that's that was 2000 and then i started teaching myself to paint in oils and um you know by about 2005 i was having uh, shows and stuff and slowly just kind of building the career mm-hmm. over time you know but i think i think i can even see it in your in your fine art like the way that when there's a wound or or something in your paintings like oh, the way, for sure. the way, yeah like the way it comes through it look to me it looks like special effects makeup but totally. like but painted in i don't know if you're using oils or mm-hmm. what you're using yeah i'm using I oils can, yeah yeah i can see the depth and the all my the dimension like even the one that's behind your head right now yeah yeah no like, it's like, yeah, like yeah all the wrinkles it's like that's makeup all the, effects sculpture, all, all the wrinkles I mean? <laughs> and, and to go back to like digital because i don't 
want to give away your secrets, but I can see a digital mock-up behind yeah, yeah, on the left. Yeah. So it's like that all comes full circle to, yeah, no, no, to go the, around. That's and that's cool pretty thing. cool that that, yeah, you know, that's, like all those little tools in the toolbox, you're, you're pulling those around and you're using them. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I'm finally, it's like, I'm going back to digital now. I did, I, you know, I'm using photo bashing techniques now to kind yeah. of mock up my uh, compositions for my Absolutely. paintings. And and I think these are like my best paintings yet. And They're it's gorgeous. The one behind your head Thanks. is awesome. I don't want to talk too much about it because it's probably <laughs> your next show, but it, but it looks great. Hey, I don't know if you can see it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think you zoomed in on a baby head there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, but, uh, yeah, so that's I'm really like, cool, man. The light source on the one behind your head is amazing. Oh, thanks. That's really neat. Yeah, so I, I um yeah I I'm able to I'm using everything I know now pretty much and I'm doing every time I do a solo show now I sculpt frame corners and I put like a little oh yeah here's one I don't know you, you, you mean it. like the frame of the actual painting is that oh, but, like, oh that's like a badass, skull, like a <laughs> robot skull oh very giger I was just yeah. gonna say this thing uh glows in the dark you can't oh, really tell it's like no way the, the oh man eye. that's so man you guys are oh, very similar yeah. <laughs> so it's like i use my makeup effects stuff to sculpt my frame corners i use my digital stuff to uh do my mock-ups now right and um i use my sculpting knowledge i mean all this most of these paintings are just out of my head most of my paintings i just paint out of my head but it's like i was a sculptor for 20 years or something and it's like so i know form i know how light falls across form yeah. because i was sitting scared staring at you know life casts and and monster sculptures every day for 40 hours a week for like 20 years so i can i kind of know how things should look under lights and stuff so i'm sort of combining everything i know into uh what i do now and that's kind of the neat part about fine art is you can take every experience yeah. and and stuff that you had and and put it into it and and totally. things that you thought maybe at the time were useless, yeah, end up yeah. becoming an attribute. Absolutely, yeah. I I used to joke in in the film industry is like uh, about wanting to get into makeup effect or get into fine art. I I used to say I want to use my powers for good instead of evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been for the show I'm working on right now. It will go nameless, but it's pretty boring. But like, I've, I'm having to do all this fake marble. I'm like I'm mm. going to the like the washroom and I'm peeing and I'm almost peeing on the floor because I'm staring at the marble. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, oh shit. Well, like, you never. I've know never been so interested in marble in my life. Well, you never know. But you notice know. other things, and then yeah, I yeah. can use that for backgrounds and Holy texture man. and and when we make a marble monster, yeah, um, like uh, well, you know, I haven't seen one of those before. Yeah, so. I've sculpted. Our, I've I've painted marble creatures before. I've painted like. I think I painted the, did I paint that? I can't even remember. It's been so long. <laughs> I worked on the Doors movie and we did like a. Wait, the one with, with, with Kilmer. Uh, yeah, yeah. And we did like a, his <laughs> grave. I just I, watched that. I think I, I painted the tombstone and that was like marble. But I sculpted, I did make the, there was a little doll version of him that some fan gives him or something in the movie. I sculpted that. Yeah. I, I worked on weird movies like the bodyguard with whitney houston oh, yeah I, I made like this little barbie exploding barbie yeah. doll and, yes. and uh, the bodyguard born to be wild double feature it's a oh chet's double feature i worked on some, <laughs> there was a, a a 
my best friend's wedding with Julia. Holy Robert. fuck! I did. We did like uh, a mud mask on her that was like a prosthetic. It wasn't, oh, you know, it was, it was like stupid shit like that. And did <laughs> did you paint props and do scenic art type stuff uh, like that as well? Or yeah, sometimes that sometimes that was part of the job. But um, hmm. the guy that that Jim Bynke, the guy that got me in when I was a kid. He did a lot. Of, he used to work for a place called Scenic Highlights in Hollywood. He did all kinds of backdrops and props. He's like a kind of a jack of all trades type guy. Um, so I have done, you know, we did some props for uh, this movie Contact with Jodie Foster. We did like these medical devices. Um, we, you know, we exploded Jack Black in uh, The Jackal, that movie The Jackal. Oh, shit. Um, met him and painted painted his his super realistic uh puppet of him that w would explode and then come back together and so lots of weird stuff, lots yeah. of weird 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 stuff and a lot of obscured terrible movies. It, it's funny the places you'll find yourself in. Like, yeah, you're like, yeah, I, it's asked, like... I asked for this. <laughs> well, when I first moved, I just uh, like I only met Arden a little under a little under a year ago. And when I moved in here with him, he was like showing me around the place. And we have this really cool attic that like, you know, one side of it is a, a his tattoo studio. The other side is all like um, storage. But uh, we go up there, and the first thing I see is I'm like, why the fuck is there two tombstones in here? And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's Sandy Cohen's tombstone from the OC. Like, oh, just cool. ran random things that are nice guy, beautiful voice. Exactly. Like, I can yeah. Frank Sinatra, like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> but it's just so cool. I, like to me, that as you, I'm sure you've noticed when you say stuff like "Born to Be Wild" and "Nomads," I'm like what? <laughs> I'm just like, I'm such a prairie kid. I come from you know a world where this just isn't normal at all. So. Right. I've always been such a huge fan of you know film but art in general and a lot of like what you do is you you blend just everything that I love about this genre into into paintings and uh it's like I I collect art myself and it's it's really 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 inspiring to see how much work goes Absolutely. into what what you do oh thanks yeah that's the, that's that was the idea like I felt like you know there's a certain point where you're you're getting you're like every movie you work on is like okay that's another uh thing for my resume so i can get another job yeah. that's another thing and you just every show is like that until you get to a point i got to a point where i didn't need a resume anymore like i had yeah. a reputation and it's like i you know pe people would hire you just because not i'm not saying i was like the shit or anything but it's like i'd been doing it a long time i knew everybody and it's like you get to a point where you don't you don't need to build your portfolio or resume up so at that point i'm like okay so i'm not really enjoying it like i used to and i don't need to climb the ladder anymore there's not really any further mm. for me to go so if that's the case then i'm just doing this for the money and if i'm going to be doing something for the money i want to be enjoying myself more and I guess that it was like, this isn't worth it just for the money for me. That's how I felt like at that point. I'm relating a lot to this, right? you know? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of money to be made in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, it's yeah. It's it's. Uh, but you see a lot of miserable people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? The golden handcuffs thing. And pe people, uh, yeah. in it, people in it for the wrong reason. And uh, a lot of those people end up being the ones calling the shots. Yeah, for sure. So I was like, you know, um, there was a point where I felt like a trapped, like I couldn't get out because I'd never done anything else. 
You had a family and, too, right? Yeah, I had a family. It's like uh, we had a house. We just bought a house, and you know, and and I was like, I'm. I felt trapped, and I was like, man, I was really scared that I could never get out of it. And um, so at that point, I was like, man, I just felt like I, I was wasting my time, wasting my life. And I, and I was trying to get this fine art career off the ground. I was like, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And I started selling, but it was like, you know, not enough to support myself. It was a painting every three months, maybe, or six months or whatever. I was selling some prints online. And um, so that became my new thing that I was trying to climb, the fine right. art thing. And I was thinking, you know, if I can if I can manage to get into fine art and, and build a career for myself where I am, it's my vision and it's my thing and I'm expressing myself and building my own career, then all of this will have been worth it. Like all this 20 years working for other people will have been worth it. If I could take all those skills and put it towards what I, what I really feel is important. And so, and you you can see it in your art. Oh, well, thank you. You you can see all that background. Like it's, it's in there. Early yeah. seconds, I can see it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see it too. <laughs> yeah, good. I mean, I know I'm aware. I'm aware that it's like there is a kind of makeup effects aesthetic in it. There, there is, you know? but but there... it's still super fine art. And there's also like yeah. a really like light. That was part of the idea too, though, with the, with the paintings is like, I always felt like the stuff that we were doing, especially at Rick's, at Rick Baker's was like so high level. It was right. like the best artist of the business. And the stuff they were doing was so good. I was like, this is like better than anything any fine artist is. This is like, you know, Michelangelo level shit. Some of the stuff was so good. It was like, you know, that's an exaggeration, but it was like so high quality that I'm like, and it's just going to get thrown out in the dumpster after the effect is done. But you know the 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 or talent... it's going to end up in Joe Rogan's studio. Yeah, <laughs> even worse. Yeah, it's like it's it's like uh, uh, you know these amazing artists are doing this stuff. They're not you know when Michelangelo's doing a sculpture, it, it was it's important and it's lasted throughout history as classic art. Mm-hmm. And um, you know people in effects are just like working on these movies where the people making the movie don't really give a shit about the movie they're just looking to make as much money as possible Mm -hmm. and they don't care if the movie's stupid or they don't care if it's talking down to people they just do not give a shit they don't even like some of them don't even like movies they're just like bankers and money people Mm -hmm. and so it was and i always saw the effects as like especially like i said the quality at rick's studio was just like this is as good as the best fine art and so that's kind of my uh mission statement with my work is like i'm sort of trying to present that sort of stuff in a fine art context totally monsters you know stuff that i you know it's like you even if you're if you think this if you know an art i'm sure an art critic would think this is like childish or not serious but to me it's it's serious it's why not you know why why is a bowl of fruit more uh valid as a piece of art than a monster i made up there's no reason for it there's no reason um so 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 it's my way of kind of like trying to elevate or show how i feel about the art of of effects and horror movies and things like that like to me it's important to me it's as serious as any subject matter to cover 
100 percent. i've been like devouring your podcast over the past week oh cool and, and like i'm i'll be honest with you i'm not the biggest horror movie and dark art guy but there's so You're much a little wussy baby <laughs> You're a wussy yes baby. i am yes i am but you know i'm learning and i but, and i appreciate it but oh, yeah. th- but there's still so much technical like i'm learning tons from your podcast oh cool and yeah there's and so there's so much in there like the episode with ron english like i gra- yeah. i come from a graffiti tattoo background oh, so cool. that for me i was like whoa yeah yeah like how did so you bad. get to know ron uh like he to me is like yeah it was, god he, you know? we've like, shown we've shown together before it's like you know it's like the it's like the film industry is small you know it's pretty small like people at least in la it was like most people either knew each other or knew of each other it's kind of like that in the lowbrow pop surrealism whatever you want to call it art scene it's like you know we we somehow we wind up in shows together once in a while right we know know gallery we know you know the guy who runs copro gallery which is my main gallery he's shown ron before he knows all he knows mark ryden it's like Mm -hmm. we all kind of know either know the have shown with them or know them seen him seen him at a show it's just like kind of run in the same circles so i just hit him up and he was like he was in my documentary too he's there's yeah like, it's, we watched it i want to oh, cool. yeah, that's a story <laughs> i want to tell is that like so arden and i we we are you know he's comes from this fine art background and you know i'm i'm a filmmaker arden's a filmmaker as well and we plan on making movies together and i had told him that we we're going to be talking with chet czar and he knew who you were of course and uh we watched your documentary that night and it was so funny. It was that was the moment where I was like, Arden's got to be on this episode because we were watching it. And he's like, Oh, there's Ron English. Oh, there's uh, Alex Gray. I was like, Oh, there's Big Gus. I was like, I was just like, Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like, was cooking dinner and I sat down right away. I was chicken yeah. was burning. Which uh, I want to plug that though. Chet Czar, I like to paint monsters, which we talk a lot about Tubi on this podcast. Yes, it's on Tubi for free. Yeah. And yeah, you can watch Chet Czar. I like to paint monsters and I couldn't recommend it more. It's, it's so a great watch. It's yeah. a great watch. It was so fun. Thanks. I totally Thanks. cut you off there, but I do. We're going to get back to, to I like to paint monsters because I have some questions from that that I want to touch on uh, for our audience. But yeah, it's it's crazy how many how 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 art is just able to connect so many people and all these like incredibly talented people. I'm a massive massive rick baker is my favorite special effects artist like of all time it's great and as much as he's awesome yeah and like as much as i did throw a little jab at joe rogan there like if anyone out there like rick baker on joe rogan he shares one of my favorite stories about him making the grinch like this was him at that era i worked on that did you actually yeah (laughs) yeah i can't that's actually when i started working at, at rick's was on the grinch because the um do you know sideshow collectibles yeah oh yeah absolutely the guy who is the painter there tom gilliland he was like the painter um yeah. uh, uh, at ricks he was leaving ricks to start sideshow like they they were starting oh, wow. sideshow collectibles and so i came in to replace him as a painter because i got laid off or tony and i had kind of had a falling out and so i didn't have a job and my my digital company didn't work so I needed a job. And then my friend, Bill Sturgeon, who is an old guy from Rick's, uh, he's a good friend of mine, but he like worked on American Werewolf in London and yeah. he's been with yeah, Rick early greatest. on. And um, he's like, Hey, there's a job. There's a job over here. You're kind of overqualified for it. But um, if you know, you want to get your foot in over here. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's just painting who ears. 
So there was like <laughs> hundreds of rubber who ears, and it's like, you know, Caucasian flesh color. Yeah, yeah. Dude, a little, movie... little bit of pink. That was it. Over and over and over. So I had to paint hundreds of who ears. And uh, but eventually I worked my way into the sculpting department um, on Planet of the Apes. And then I once I got in there, they I stayed in there until they closed down. Yeah, no, that's so wild. I just oh. I know that they were trying so hard to to neuter everything that Rick was trying to do. Yeah, and he just yeah. kept going. He's like they they'd uh, who who's this happened with another. Oh, it was Hitchcock did it on Psycho where the the censors were like, hey, you got to cut this out. You got to mm-hmm. get this out. So he took it back. He's like, yep, yeah, we'll do that. And he sent back the same thing over and over and yeah. over again. And they eventually just accept. They're like, oh, yeah. he has to cut that part out. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that's like what Rick did with the Grinch. And like, I know that they're like, I'm a fan of that movie. I love that movie. I watch it every Christmas. And yeah, it's, it's because movie. it's also so fucking creepy. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. so it creepy. The, the who's. What do I wear? Yeah. What, what, what would I wear? <laughs> and him. Oh, man. He's so creepy. Yeah. And like, uh, just his big gut and like it's such an ugly looking movie in a great way in my yeah opinion. like yeah. it's it's a horrifying story for kids and i remember being creeped out by by it as a kid and uh-huh. i just i love that story of rick being like you no know, i yeah i did change it what are you what are you talking about you crazy yeah. it's it's yeah. right there and then he eventually <laughs> got his exa- and then that's that was well, around that's... the time where he was like you know rick's made it very like like yourself he he had to leave the industry because i yeah. think it was what what movie was it? Uh, Maleficent, where he was like, "There's nothing left for me to do here. Right. Like if if everything that I can do can be done in my garage, my time here is done." And yeah, it's and so heartbreaking. Huge. He had this. He had the best shop. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd ever worked at. It was huge. It was amazing. It was like made it look like a castle inside. Cool. You know, it was marble steps and yeah, and like uh, marble sculpture, <laughs> <laughs> like sculptures of flying monkeys from the wizard of oz on the staircase it was super cool it was just yeah it was a it was a a bummer to see that all go down it was it was sad yeah no doubt well that's uh on a little bit more of a positive note we one thing that we were talking about is your documentary i like to paint monsters and the the movie picks up at like the dark like right off the gate there where you're sharing some pretty personal stories about like uh your upbringing, spirituality, positive manifestation, and some out-of-body experiences that you had. Mm. How do you feel just for people, if you could give just like, you know, the Cliff Notes version, I know that that sounds really difficult, but for our listeners, it obviously goes, talk as much as you want. I'm just trying to get more people to watch that documentary because it's really, really insightful how Uh. you've taken these this this spiritual side of your life into your work where does spirituality come for come from for you like uh i've always had like um it's so funny because i just did an i did another podcast interview because i'm trying to promote this dystopia book so i'm trying to get on as many podcasts which as possible. we will talk about <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. we, it's it's all good now this is this is the way it goes we mention it talk about other stuff you mention it oh, yeah. but uh it's an incredible book Sorry, oh, thanks, we're thanks. we're uh, looking at it right now. <laughs> right. It's this this thing is fucking gorgeous, man. Thanks. And, it's crazy me, that it's like kickstarted. You know, maybe like a couple hundred. Well, let me see. Four, five hundred people have it right now, and it's like to me, it's like to me, it's like it's so. Uh, you know, I didn't design it. Mackie Osborne designed it for you know, and it's like, but I, you know, I approved it. It's my artwork. It's my stories, but. I mean, I think it's amazing and it's just weird to see this self-produced thing 
doesn't have a publisher. It's not in bookstores. It's not on Amazon. It's like this thing that's kind of like flying into the radar. I feel like I need to get on and promote it just because it's so cool. I just think from a, a fan perspective, I think yeah. it's so neat. You know what it's I mean? It's very punk rock as well, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I've always I've always followed the uh, uh, the the DIY punk rock ideal you know of doing it yourself and and not compromising um anyway spirituality uh anyway yeah i we always had grew up in like haunted houses two of the houses we lived in weird shit happened all the time uh my mom would see ghosts my sister would see ghosts she got poked by knitting needles one time and thought my mom did it um uh 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 one time my mom walked into my brother's room to give some give him some clothes she had folded and then he shut the door on her and said sorry and just shut the door on her she thought that's weird she turned around walked down the hall my brother was coming in the front door and so shit like that was just common it was always happening not i mean not always but it was common enough to where it was like it was just a thing it was part of life so uh and my mom wasn't afraid of it she was kind of a, you know, very positive, upbeat, spiritual, new age type person. And so she was never afraid of that stuff. So I was kind of raised around it. She taught me how to do um, uh, manifestation, which is basically the same as magic and the occult. It's just a new age version of it. That's that's what all that stuff is, you know, that's in horror movies that people think is evil. It's like, you know, the secret was a mainstream version of ancient techniques to, you know, either physically gain enlightenment. That's what the high magic is, 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 is about. It's about spiritual enlightenment and becoming one with God. And um, low magic is physically manifesting things. And it's not low as in bad. It's just not, there's high and there's low. It's two ways to categorize it. Low magic is physically manifesting things to make your life the way you want it. And um, so, you know, she taught me how to do that. I started doing it when I was a kid and uh, it always works when I do it 99% of the time or 95% of the time. So it's not even a question of whether it's real or not to me, because when I do it, it works. I, I, I used to need like money for supplies to make a mask to get plaster or latex. And, you know, we didn't have money when I was growing up and I needed $200 for something. And I would visualize on it and do the technique she taught me. And somehow I would get $200 like within a week or two. And then I was like, Oh, I can make my mask now. And it was <laughs> like, you know, so I've kind of been doing it all my life. And um, so I was kind of raised in that environment. I always just had like a, a feeling about spirituality and um, um, a feeling that like, you know, you don't die when you die. And, 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 you know, as a, when I was like 18, I tripped on psychedelics for the first time and had a major mystical experience. And, um, and which, so if you don't mind me asking, which psychedelics were you on? Uh, mushrooms and acid. Acid okay. was not at the same time, but it was like yeah. between the two of those things. It was like the traditional uh, mushroom and mushrooms and LSD was going around. Well, the Grateful the Dead is, was was yeah. was touring in the 80s. 80 86 87 so there was like a lot of acid yeah. going around it wasn't so hard to find i don't know if you've noticed though but like uh, especially over the last couple of years mushrooms have been making a bang like they've never made before like you yeah know, people who would normally scoff at it 
Yeah, you know, well, it's think, because they're finally doing scientific studies exactly, on it. And it's exactly. Like, it works. I'm know? a big, big advocate for mushrooms. Yeah, me too. I just had my first mushroom trick on the weekend. Oh, you didn't uh, even tell me. I've been trying. I'll save it for the podcast. <laughs> I've, been, I've been telling this guy since I met him. I'm like, oh man, honestly, all you need is mushrooms. I was so scared. <laughs> I, I was so scared of it, but it was honestly. No. I was at a wedding, which is maybe not the best place to do <laughs> it. <laughs> but everyone's like, the what? I'm like, the wedding's cool, but look at those trees. <laughs> if you want, if you if you want to do like a serious you know that's great that, that, that you enjoyed it that's good i, I had a great time that's great a great time if you want to do like a, a serious session do it like uh uh you know at least three and a half grams and turn the lights <laughs> off turn oh, the lights okay. off in a room and have no sound and be in pitch blackness yeah and 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 it's scary at first but when you get over the the peak um mm. you know it all usually happens when you trip that hard you hit a point and it's like oh shit i'm gonna die what if i took too much it's <laughs> like and it's just your ego yeah because your ego is like starting to lose its grip right and, and when and you just got to make yourself relax and then you get over that hump and you're like ah oh, that was this is so easy this and it's like you're in this state of mind that's kind of more real than this reality yeah right you know, it's like a real true spiritual reality and you're there and it's like you can ask questions and you can get told things and it's it's, it's an overused word at this point but i do like it's like the one time where i really feel like that's euphoric mm -hmm. uh, yeah. like i and you know i'm sure that there are people out there who don't know a lot about this who are kind of scoffing at the idea of doing this but like that's that's why it's so beautiful that people are talking about it now because it really does like it's funny because I've been telling him to micro. Yeah, and I've been you just told him to take three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Those They're are two different approaches. You don't know the anxiety that I have, but like yeah. I've been, I told you, like it, it's always made me super nervous. It's because everyone's it's, everyone thinks that there when was you do nothing it, to be nervous about there. There yeah. was, I don't know what it, what it, what it was. Well, let me I, tell you my very first mushroom trip that uh -oh. I, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the very first time I ever took mushrooms, I went and saw Horton Hears a Who. Oh my like, God. The, yeah, on on opening night, and I, I was on a golf island. Yeah, that was a lot better. <laughs> a no, different. no, honestly though, it was that night though. I was like, I never want this to end. I was like, that's the happiest place I've ever been. And then there's one part in the movie where it goes down into, I think it's like a, it's a vulture. The vulture is like the villain, and I remember just curdling up be like this is the most evil place i've ever been <laughs> but then the rest of it it was like the movie ended and i was it was like i was at fucking tribeca or can or wherever people are doing those 45 minute standing ovations <laughs> that are happening these days because i was like more horton here's a who <laughs> and i was like i want to go get a horton tattoo but since then i i microdose and oh, uh cool. it's a, it's something that helps a lot with you know anxiety for me anxiety and depression it, yeah. it levels me out on a whole different level it yeah, was, yeah. I, I've been wanting to try that for a long time, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's great. It was just a beautiful experience for me. I I was so scared of it for so long, and I finally finally did it. And then it just wasn't at all what I was expecting. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, ev everyone thinks of you know. I just watched it, too many movies where yeah, they're, they're like, "I'm having a bad time." Yeah, I'm having you know, a bad trip. It's like I I went for you know. 10 and 15 years never having a bad trip and thinking like how could people have bad trips hmm. and then i had a bad trip 
and it was like, oh, this is a bad trip. And it was really because there was, it was like, there was, per, I, I ended a relationship with uh, my brother, with my best friend. It's like these, and these were things were like right. unresolved. And so uh, I took it and, and I was, didn't, wasn't aware that it was still bothering me, I guess is the mm. problem. And so I got really sick. I started like, oh it's terrible stomach cramps Mm. and it's like i started i think i started trying to throw up or throwing up a little bit but it was like that was part of the trip it was like i was getting this out and then i just completely felt this grief for losing my best friend for 30 years uh uh you know not 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 having in my life anymore having Mm. this issue with my my family my brother and it was like i just broke down sobbing and um, you know, I'm on the bathroom floor and I'm crying, you know, just like <laughs> super hard. And my wife's like, Are you okay? Because she's not, you know, she doesn't take any of that stuff. And I was like, I'm like, it's okay, it's all part of the process. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, though, but right? it was, and I knew it. And it was like, okay, you know, this sucks and it's not fun at all, like normal trips are, but it was like totally what I needed. You know, so yeah. it's like even the bad trips, it, it, you know, if you have a bad trip because you're holding on, that's a real bad trip because, you know, if you're if you if you don't let go, you might have a bad trip because your your ego is going to be like what happens is your ego like starts showing you the scariest shit, making you think about the most horrible shit and making you think that you're going to die because it wants to remain in control because that's its job. Its job is to keep you safe or right. keep itself safe through you and um and you're basically stopping that for a short period of time and it, and it it you know grabs on and makes you makes the walls bleed because if you stay scared and focused on that stuff you won't let it go and get past that point where you're you know you, yeah. in order to get to that spiritual place you have to let your ego go you have to let that part of yourself go and let it dissolve and it's like it'll come back but but yeah. uh, so it tries to keep you from letting go. So if you as long as you relax and go into the experience, you'll be OK. But if you start resisting it, that's when there's there's trouble. But uh, I wasn't resisting it, but I but it was like, OK, you haven't grieved. You haven't let all this pain out. So you need to do it now. And it just forced me because I guess I was maybe avoiding it because it was too yeah. painful or something, you know, I, I, how did you feel afterwards? Because I feel oh, like I that's how I felt so good. Yeah, yeah. I felt I, amazing. I, I felt feel like amazing. I need to go through something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was we'll do it in separate rooms. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but that, that's another thing too, though. Is that it's uh, something that happens with like a lot. I feel like you know I've done mushrooms many, 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 many times, and every <laughs> I remember. Time, yeah, every every <laughs> single time that you do have the stomach pains, and that's what scares people, and. Uh, yeah just knowing that that's a part of the process, but it's also, it's not like it's unbearable pain or it's stuff that you like that should scare you away. I know that this is just like peer pressure, the podcast right now. Being like, <laughs> Eat the mushrooms, kids. Eat the mushrooms. I'll tell I you. Did it. I finally did it. I tea. know. I'm proud of you. Do, do tea. If you yeah, do tea, tea fuck it, yeah. you don't have the, you know, I, I like, 
Yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean by tea? You use the the like the a tea. Stems. Yeah, you make oh, a tea. Oh, okay. Yeah, because if yeah. you eat, you know, the thing, that... or you just eat three and a half grams and go lock yourself <laughs> that in a black room. Heroic to me. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. That, that I have whichever anxiety. I know. I I can't eat. I used to just like eat them when I was younger and just yeah. dealt with the stomach stuff. But it's like it hurts too much. It gets like totally like ah, oh, gives me diarrhea and stuff. It's like. <laughs> See, that's no, intense. I just I do tea now. It's like tea. It goes <laughs> yeah. faster. It, it comes on fast. I mean, I don't d- really do it. I haven't done it in years now, but. Um, Tripping uh, and shitting seems they, scary. They, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it can be euphoric, though. But they got capsules now, man. Like They got, they got so true. many different ways yeah, of doing yeah. it. I'm not sure what it's like in LA, but I know like Vancouver, where we're at, there's like, I just found out that it's not legal here, but it's like, but there's stores everywhere. And really, they sell it oh, in stores. Oh, they sell it in yeah. stores. Apparently, Whoa, what what is mushroom dispensaries? Yeah, my buddy called it something where it's like, it's 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 a type of store that's where it's so like it's cool. just all of a sudden going to go away someday. But it is crazy because so I was going to I'm not sure if you know where it is in British Columbia. It's called Tofino. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. And my friend Nick was taking us there for his uh, his birthday. And I was like, well, of course I'm going to get mushrooms for this. This sounds amazing. Yeah. And I went into this shop and. There was a woman there whose friend, uh, she was like 55 years old, maybe upwards of 60, and she was very upset. And her fr- her best friend had just killed himself. Mm. And watching how the staff at that store helped her was so, so amazing to me and made me an even bigger, like, you know, mm-hmm. advocate for this stuff is because. The way they spoke about it, it wasn't just like, oh, you want to get fucked up? Like, take this one. It's like, no, there are so many different ways that you can go about this. Are you looking? And they even said to me, they're like, what are you looking for? They're like, are you are you wanting to see things or are you wanting to just relax? I'm like, honestly, I've been so stressed out. I just want to relax for fucking an hour. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, take this. And I did. I was on it the whole weekend, baby. (laughs) It was so good. When it first kicked in for me, it was like. I saw this thing in the trees that looked kind of like a gargoyle or like a, I know this sounds kind of That's crazy, fine. but like a, it was reaching out of me. And at first it was scary. It actually kind of reminds me of your paintings because at first, it, <laughs> well, I, I mean it like it, like at first it kind of freaked me out, but there was like a light to it. Like it didn't freak me out all the way. Uh-huh. And I feel the same way when I look at your art, like it's dark. There's that, there's a undeniable darkness to that, but there's also this like playful, nature to it where mm-hmm. like it scared me at first because i had never done mushrooms before right. so so but after like a second or two or the people around me just kept talking i kept looking at it, i was like that thing's kind of silly <laughs> and then it just or wasn't it's cool it's it like, was oh, cool you know it's like that that was one of the you know i named I, it murphy <laughs> and then me and murphy were homies and yeah like, exactly like, it's like yeah. it, you know i remember when i first was tripping i was like 18 because i was like totally anti-drug as a kid because my brother was a stoner it was nerd the 70s. everybody was stoners and i was all like yeah i was total nerd like ah, i'm not gonna be like that it paid oh, off wasting their lives yeah. away yeah and then but then i was reading like carlos castaneda books and books about you know these things and, and spirituality and psychedelics and so once I turned 18, I was like, okay, I proved it to everybody in my neighborhood in Pedro that I, I'm not the druggie they thought I was. Now I'm going to try psychedelics. And um, <laughs> so it was like, I waited until I was 18. And then, um, but it, it was like, every time we tripped, it was like, there was a, 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 it was massive, like learning all these 
things. And I remember one of the ideas that I, I had while I was tripping was, um, it was, I called it the idea, the, the principle of turning hell into Disneyland. And cause I was having these visions of hell mm. and, um, and it was like a, it was like a, a, a casino. And it was like a roulette wheel with like a like a bat on the roulette wheel spinning. And it was like all weird and dark and psychedelic. And I was thinking, this is so cool. It's so neat. And, it was, and the idea was that if you can like <clears throat> turn, look at these hell, hellish visions and appreciate them and, and realize how cool they are, then you're not scared of them anymore. Right. Like, what is there to be afraid of? And, and, and that's, you know, ultimately what I've, what I came away from the whole experience with was that, you know, uh, everything is God, essentially, whatever God is, this thing, this energy, this intelligence, primary intelligence, everything is made up of that. There's nothing outside of that. And so there's nothing to be afraid of, you know, there's pain and there's suffering, but ultimately it's all good and it's all going to be okay. And there's not really any death. And so, you know, it really left me with like, Oh, you know, that's kind of the same idea with the turning Helen in, into Disneyland. It's like, yeah. And it's, it's kind of what I'm doing with my work in a way. Absolutely. You know what I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. And that stuff I want to like, so I want to, I want to close out with that. Like I want to have a good conversation about dystopia and what this okay. book is and what it means to you. But before we do that, I think it's something that ties into it. It's something you've mentioned a lot is ego what mm-hmm. is ego to you and how does that re- how does that feed into your work because that's something that you speak about a lot in this in even dystopia and mm-hmm. i like to paint monsters mm-hmm. ego death yeah yes. ego yeah. death that that painting you know that it's like it's a thing it's people i think misunderstand the idea of ego death um you know a lot of times i'll you know I'm, i named that painting ego death it's one of my most popular paintings i think it's a grim reaper meditating and all these monsters behind him it's in the Dude, documentary that part of the documentary we, was we were wild. We, i'm sorry we got i'm gonna cut you off here because <laughs> yeah. this is like one of the best fucking parts of that documentary is is a crazy man i was there you we have howling so you there's there's such a theatrical <laughs> side to your artwork and everything that you do but they're the complete fucking happenstance that they're you you have this exhibit where there's you know there's actors performers there and there's someone there dressed in a green grim reaper costume essentially yeah sitting in front of ego death it wasn't it wasn't actor it was people at the at the gallery it was just like people going to the gallery were there I, I was meaning the guy who was reading the eulogy and oh uh, no yeah no this was the see this is the first there was two ego death shows. This was the preliminary ego death show that oh, was okay. at a regular museum. It was like at right, a right. art yeah. museum. A so, so it wasn't, yeah, it was kind of the test one and there, and it was just an opportunity we had. So there wasn't all of the actors and stuff at this show. Um, so for what it's worth, but the guy, so the, that's even, it's even more weird because the guy showed up with this black cape and um, looking and hood, a, yeah. a black hood and a black cape looking strange and just like you know wandering around just like because there was a bunch of people there and it was in in the middle of la like hollywoodish la area and he just showed up to to go to this party that was like it was my show it was a bunch of other shows in this one big museum space um uh, barnsdale art park and um 
And so, yeah, so he sat down in front of the painting of the Grim Reaper meditating. <laughs> it's like, it, 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 you know, and I was like, and everyone was looking at him and I was like, what the, is this like, what is this? Is this like a crazy performance? Some Someone doing a performance art thing in front of my painting because he looked, he was sitting like my painting. He was sitting, he was sitting cross-legged, cross-legged yeah. directly in front of the main painting of the Grim Reaper meditating cross-legged. And uh, so I went up and talked to him and I was like, you look just like the painting, man. You know, like, what's up? And he was like, whoa, I didn't even realize that. I was just charging my phone. You know, there's a plug down on the floor. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then I was like, and it, it was like, and then I was talking to my friend Gabe about it after that. I didn't even realize it. It's like all the people were looking, you know, me and all the people were looking at this guy and surrounding him. And, and it was it, it and it's and it was literally like a mirror image of the painting, which has the Grim Reaper and a bunch of my monsters behind him, looking at him, going, "What the fuck?" Because in the idea in the painting is like all these monsters are like, "Whoa, the Grim Reaper's enlightened," or what is he uh. doing? And it's like the idea is the Grim Reaper is becoming enlightened and he's like meditating and floating, and all the monsters are like, "What's going on?" And it was like that happened in the gallery, and it it's like when it's, that's one of those things that you know like you know you can't deny that this stuff is life is weirder than we know and and things like this you couldn't have made that I, I mean there's no better explanation than like life imitates art like that is yeah, that is totally absolutely <laughs> me, me and mitch when we watched that part of the documentary were like <laughs> hooting and hollering oh, and it gave me the craziest goosebumps and like whoever made that film i'm not sure who made it but like mike that Carell. is mike Carell. it was such a beautiful it's a great art it, documentary. Like, oh, was, thanks, thanks. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was super happy with the how it came out. He wrote the. He's a writer. He wrote the text for the dystopia. He's yeah. That's what the kid. That's what I was going to mention is like because the writing in dystopia volume one, a field guide to the dark universe of Chetzar, which this thing is like a giant gothic bible, <laughs> uh, and that's like, it's so fucking cool, man. And it's it's just a big beautiful book with these black pages, and it's got gold indent on it. Um, tell us like what 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 was the road like to dystopia? And uh, like, because I got to wonder, there's I have so many fucking I could do an I know I should have done that an entire podcast <laughs> on the book, not just mushrooms and right. born to be wild. <laughs> but uh, but I feel like this this gives people a little bit of an insight into, you know, the 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 man behind this, like the person who made this, like how something so beautiful comes about. It feels like you've created a true world to every piece of your work. And some of it feels like, and I mean this with the highest esteem, is like some of it feels a little Dungeons and Dragonsy because you're like that was the idea, totally. absolutely. Like you know? you're you're creating this world. What what made you want to do this and and go about it this way? Uh, it was during the the shooting of I like to paint monsters. Uh, Mike Carell, the director, a good friend of mine, and I were talking about the movie and. You know, it was like during through throughout all these interviews, because we were interviewing people for the documentary. And every, one thing that people kept saying, and they had been saying this prior to the movie, just once in a while, I'd hear like they look like they're in this other world. They look like they're related. They look like they all belong to a certain species. They look they look like they belong together. And And people kept telling me that. And I wasn't thinking about that. I was just painting from the beginning. I was painting 
totally intuitively just trying to paint what I think was cool. I was trying to get back to my childhood um, art making process, which is like when you're a kid and you're drawing and you're just like going like you're drawing guys shooting each other and you're making the sounds you're doing yeah. it just for the pure joy of the of creating it and so when i started painting i was like that's what i, I want to get to that pure state so that my art is real there's i come from this movie commercial background and i'm so sick of people art directing me and having some kind of like i have to make it like this so that it sells this many tickets or whatever it's like i want it to be real pure expression of art so i i, I just decided i'm going to go intuitive i'm not going to think of what the paintings mean i'm not going to do anything other than what just pleases me i'm making artwork that i think looks cool that i would want to see and so i've just kept i started doing that and i kept doing it i uh, my first pieces were, that started really selling were these portraits and so i was like oh okay i'm going to keep doing these portraits these are fun and um and before I knew it, I had this whole body of work. People are telling me um, that looks like it's in a di another dimension. They look like they all belong to this dimension. And uh, so anyway, we we during these meetings for the documentary, actually, Mike would come to my house. We would we would trip and we would discuss the movie because we were like because yeah. we were kind of letting it develop. Cause it kind of turned into a movie about dark art more than about me. It's like, it starts off about me and then it sort of goes into what the whole dark art scene and the movement is about. And so we were trying to make a good movie and, and figure out, you know, so we basically we'd get together and have a meeting and have a trip and, and, and try and find that, you know, see where we're at, where does this thing seem to be going and trying, we're trying to let the film make itself, you know, instead of, pushing in a certain direction and um during that time um we were talking about how people kept saying it looks like he's painting another dimension my friend christopher ulrich around that time was a really amazing artist if you like my stuff check out christopher ulrich amazing 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 oh, amazing yeah. amazing um totally underrated this guy he's a total genius um, he was telling me, yeah, you should do like a dungeon master guide of all your characters. And I was like, yeah, man, it's like, and that got me thinking about it between him and the meetings that Mike had and the interviews we were hearing and the, uh, influence of this book called Barlow's guide to extraterrestrials that oh, came yeah. out in like 1980 or 1979 or something. Um, that, I, that came out when I was like 13 or 14 or 15. And it was just like, I thought it was the most amazing thing. It was a field guide to all these aliens from like sci-fi stories that he had illustrated and he had kind of like made up the backgrounds about them and, and treated it like it was a national geographic field guide for these, as these, as if these things really existed. So um, that was kind of my inspiration. And I even, I met him on the Hellboy movies and I asked him to write the forward to the book. And he wrote that he wrote the forward to dystopia, yeah. which is amazing. Cause Wayne Barlow's amazing, incredible. Um, and uh, so that's sort of how it came about. You know, I, I was a Dungeons and Dragons nerd when I was a kid too. And um, I love those Dungeon ma dungeon Master guides, the monster uh, guides and the Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials. And <clears throat> so I thought, yeah, that would be cool, you know. And Mike was kind of like, "I'll write the text, you know. You'll you just I'll interview, you know, I'll interview you about the paintings. You tell me the information that you know about the paintings, and um, I'll just put it into text form. And it's like, 
I once he started interviewing me, I, I realized I knew all this stuff about each character that I didn't even think about. I'd never thought yeah. about it. Never. And it was like weird because he's I'm telling him, oh, yeah, that guy's he's he's a bad guy. He does this. He's kind of like this. Mm-hmm. And I'd never verbalized it before because this is just like intuitive art. And um, <clears throat> so it was just like he started interviewing me. And it's like clearly this there was a whole world there. There was different territories that um different paintings were in it's like oh that's that's in this place called dysphoria and this is the weedy place and it's like there's three paintings i could think of off the top of my head that exist in there and it's like you know there was common threads running through all the paintings and it was like i never intended to do that and if i would have tried to do that i it wouldn't have been any good because i'm not like that <laughs> i'm not like a guy that could come up with like this big massive world in that way it's like it has to be through you the did, paintings though. first yeah, yeah i did but it was like through the paintings yeah. and through this pure artistic expression creative expression and it's and it's so it was like kind of written backwards it's like we treated anything i was sure about with the paintings any information that i was sure about was what went in the book and so he basically wrote everything down and he's a really great writer so he translated it into proper writing and um helped me categorize everything and we figured out who the, you know, what the different class that's the, it's like, we realized there was a class structure. There were these common people, there was royalty, totally weird. Um, but it was all, it was, none of it was thought up, <clears throat> you know, none of it was nothing in the book is like, I thought it up and we wrote about it. It was all like what was discovered from the interview process about the paintings that are. So it was like, it already existed. And we were just like archeologists in a way finding out about it totally weird and so every time i paint a new painting or a new series of paintings the world gets bigger Hmm. it's like i'm discovering more about it every time i paint a painting because i approach paintings the same way all the time i'm just trying to make cool shit you know and just make a cool painting and it's like and i'm always trying to you know change things up and i just let my intuition guide me with the artwork so it's a thing you know i feel like it's a world that can just keep going on and on that's why i call it volume one because i'm gonna I'm sure I'm going to do another one. Yeah. Uh, I definitely didn't put all my paintings in. Yeah. Um, no, man, you, you absolutely, you found something here that you got to keep, keep exploring. Cause it's yeah. so rewarding reading through it. And it's like, it's not just, I don't know. Like I, I, I have a lot of books just on artwork and from different artists and it's, it, this is something entirely fresh. Oh, thanks. Cause it does just feel like every single, per, every single painting in this book is like a character and you give us the background on these characters and i love knowing that you discovered them after you did them because (laughs) that's the coolest part to me it's it's something that i love about like what i love about filmmaking is that a lot of people you know when directors make movies they realize after they're done doing them like oh i was actually working through some shit and i didn't realize that and that's like one of my favorite things about art in general. And that's, yeah, uh, that's the magical thing about art is really it's a you you have access to these deep parts of yourself that you really couldn't get at, have access to in any other way. Well, it's such a it, like uh, you know any type of art you know at least in I'm sure there's many types of art that aren't this way, but how I feel about like screenwriting is it's a very lonely thing. It's very mm-hmm. lonely. You 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 spend a lot of time with yourself, thinking about yourself, and what are things that, you know, resonate in your brain and come out of you when you are by yourself, and you have the skill like you do with painting. It's 
you're bound to come up with some really amazing stories and bring learn a lot about yourself doing this and man it's it's an incredible piece of work this book is insane and i i really hope people where where can people buy this on like yeah yeah you can go to chetzar.com there's a link from there uh the direct link to my web store is chetzar.bigcartel.com and you can get it there it's like right up top um yeah it's like an art book but it's a field guide, you know, it's like, it's both, you know, so you can kind of like treat it. You could just get it for being an art book because it's full of these cool paintings and stuff, but, but you can also, the information is there if you, if you want to read it. And that's one of the things I was like, for a while, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it because uh, I was like, is that going to take some of the mystery away of these paintings? Because one of the things that's cool about them is, you know, I like stuff where you have to go like, what's going on there. And you're not sure it's not like totally being, fed to you and i like that i like not knowing and i like people trying to come up with their own idea of what's going on in the painting but i felt like after i thought about it for a while i really weighed it out and i was like uh it's worth the trade-off because it's such a cool project and i and i feel like i can keep building this thing and i could do a comic book and hopefully a tv a netflix series of like yeah. love death and robots oh I mean, that's, that's that, uh... Okay, that's, dude, that, that's one thing that came to mind for me while reading through this like, is I would met, just love to see an I would love to see an animated version yeah, of this. In the style of the artwork. Because yeah. it's like that's one thing about Love, Death, and Robots that blew my mind is that they got like painterly styles on that stuff. It's like every episode had its own style, and some of them are very like art, fine yeah. art, painterly. And it's like, so now I know it's like it's been done. I know that these things can be done in CGI exactly like the paintings and the, to me that's the most exciting thing i could think of totally man yeah it's, it's so cool like you have each each of these pages they come with like a it you, you have the name of the character or the piece and then there's a class uh, there's a class that they belong to yep. a type <laughs> it's like honestly like uh you know people who that's why i hesitate to say words like dungeons and dragons and magic the gathering because mm -hmm. some people who aren't into that stuff they see that as a oh that that's too much for me to handle but like right. you said this is it works as just it works just as well as like a coffee table art book that you could just flip through yeah as if, something it, if you want to really dig into it right the, right the information and the lore is there yeah um, yep. and i also love that you you include pieces of like one that really speaks to me obviously is that soft spot uh yeah soft spot, which first, is a sculpture that's the first piece i did when i was like okay i'm gonna be a fine artist it was like i'm gonna my idea was to use makeup effects technology and do sculpture and do these realistic sculptures but like i said it took me a year and it was too much money to make the mold and it was too yeah. much of a nightmare to do the casting so i moved to painting but um yeah so that's 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 eventually i, I want to do a show like that now i could do a show like that it would be really absolutely cool. and like it that you know you know obviously that i yeah you you your work lives entirely on its own and as chet czar's work but like as people like like myself if you've been listening you know the guy who had a whole episode on mitch and guillermo del toro erotic fan fiction mm -hmm. if you're a fan <laughs> if you're a fan of guillermo del toro and you're gonna watch types, this episode those types of, those types of worlds that can be built it's like you know pan's labyrinth is one of my favorite movies of all time and it's yeah, because it's like you know the whole idea of exploring your inner psyche by going into this this outlandish world like dude this 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 book is such a gift to people who are into this stuff and i i can't thank you enough for for 
creating it. Um, oh, it's, it's amazing. And not to mention, like, you know, Arden was saying just recently that you also have the Dark Arts Society podcast, mm-hmm. which is something that like you you highlight artists and people that uh, the one of the beautiful things about podcasting is realizing how not alone that you are. Yeah. Um, you know, as much as now we started this podcast coming up on six years, actually. Oh wow. I'm a, I'm around there too. I'm like just over five years, I think. Or five and a half or something. Re- remember when you started doing it, there wasn't there was a lot, but there wasn't right. this many. It's true. Like, it's true. you know, uh Boozy and I like I'm so sad that Boozy can't be here because Boozy would just absolutely you would love each other. And I know he's gonna hear that mushroom talk and be like, God damn it. <laughs> okay, come I'm, on, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 happy to I'm happy to come on again sometime if you want. I'm totally down for that. Yeah, that would be amazing. Cause uh yeah, I just I see a like I just yeah, Boozy's my my dude, and I know he how much he would appreciate all of this and the stuff that you've done. Um, but yeah, what I was getting at is like when we first started doing it, we started the podcast as like just an excuse to talk to each other about what we loved. That's that's how that's the original podcast Dark Art Society podcast started with me and Mike Carell, the director of the documentary, the writer of the book, just basically to talk about the stuff we were into yeah and 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 it he ended up having to leave the show after like 80 episodes it's tough it's and uh, yeah yeah and so but we already had this audience built up so i just was like i can't do this by myself i'm not one of those kind of people so i started just like interviewing my dark artist friends and it completely changed the whole vibe of the podcast and now it's like you know an interview show for dark artists primarily but any creative people or anyone that's interesting really i was you know? i was gonna say i mean i i mean i make my living off of doing art but it's your podcast isn't just for dark dark arts yeah you know like now no, we talk a lot of technical stuff about art and you know magic and spirituality and so informative and yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. Check out the check out the Mitch Horowitz. That's one of my favorite recent episodes. It's so I, great. I will. I love Mitch Horowitz. Yeah, he, he's, like awesome. he's on all the Shutter shows and stuff like that. He's, he's, he's so cool. He's brilliant. He's such a cool yeah. guy. Yeah, he really is. Brilliant. I'd be remiss to not also give a huge, which is something I should have done at the very beginning. Which I probably we're going to record a little intro for this, <laughs> but uh, but our friend Cody Charleston was the one who who teed this up. Oh and, yes, um, thank you, was, Cody. He was the one who reached out to you as he's like a massive, massive fan. And he's yeah, someone that's... he's from Australia. We've never met in person, but he's, oh, cool. he's become a very close friend of mine and boozies as well. And it's all because of a mutual love of like goosebumps and horror. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> we eventually had Tim Jacobus on the the artist behind all the goosebumps covers. Oh, cool. and we brought we brought Cody on and uh, no, man, it's just this has been an honor. It's been so, so amazing speaking with you and. Uh, I can't wait to hopefully we can link up when I'm when I'm there in a couple of weeks. Yeah, for you, sure. Hit me you, up. You got a show. You got a show going on in L.A. for this is going to go up on October 1st. So any oh, L.A. Cool. based listeners, yeah. let's talk yeah. about that a little bit. What do you got going on? Uh, I have a solo show called Zombie Death Bots, which are the, these paintings. I just thought uh, it's like a simple, fun show. I thought it'd be, you know, what if, you know, what if you made robots out of dead bodies? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or cadaver, you know, cadaver parts. No, it's just an idea of like combining robots and zombies, which are two things I really like. And it, and it's, you know, it was just a fun idea for a show. And uh, it's it's at Copro Gallery in Santa Monica. 
you can go to copperellgallery.com and uh, it's going to be a really cool show. It opens October 8th, I think around 7 p.m. or so. Um, it's got, it's going to be four artists. Um, Rachel Bridge, who's amazing, amazing oil painter, uh, all kind of dark, weird stuff. Um, Dos Diablos, who's a Mexican artist, who's one of my favorites. He did stuff for uh, the new It movies. He did designs for that, mm-hmm. creature designs. Um, and uh, an artist named Ego has been on the podcast. He does really cool stuff. And so it's going to be like a four-person individual solo shows. I'm going to do the book signing of Dystopia as well um, on October 8th at the sh- at the show. It's going to be up for like a month. So The show will be up for a month? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I will be able to be there then. Yeah, yeah, you, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just okay, not the opening. Uh, do you have uh, a closing party too? We usually have a closing party. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Um it's I think it's gonna be up three or four weeks. I'll find out. Uh uh if when are you gonna be in town? I uh, I come on I fly in October tenth. And I'll be there for two weeks. He's there for screen oh, test. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, maybe that might work out. I'll find out when the closing is. It'd be cool to oh man that'd be awesome because yeah Yeah. i'm gonna be i'm gonna be all alone in the last week as well because i got a couple members of my crew coming up uh, for the screening but i'm gonna go for the full festival and i haven't been to la since i was nine years old oh wow (laughs) and i know it's it's arden's second home i go eight times a year it's my favorite place yeah it's it's, well you know i live kind of outside of i live a near pasadena which is like east i'm going to pasadena for uh because halloween ends comes out then and i'm gonna go see it near the myers house oh cool yeah yeah i did a i did a a show at a gallery that's like right next to the michael myers house i did a halloween i did a michael myers painting for it fuck yeah i think it's still hanging up in there actually it's called sugar mint gallery i think they're still there yeah. Well, yeah, man, we'll definitely link up. But uh, once again, man, so thanks so much for joining. Um, where can people follow you? Keep up with with what you're doing, uh, and let's plug. Let's get you. Let's get your podcast out there one more time because I want people okay. to give a listen to that. And also, may I recommend if you're a fan of what we do at the Terror Table, the Brahm episode, which is episode 100. Yeah, um, huge, huge fan of Brahm, and it was so delightful listening to you speak with someone that you think so highly of. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. And then to hearing like the same problems, you know, the same doubts, self doubts, and things like this for hearing from him, it's like made me feel so much better about myself. Oh my god, <laughs> I, I, that's something I I was telling my friend about this when I was listening to it because I like I read his books and and I, I I'm like. God, he's one of those people that makes you just think that you're never going to be that good. Just stop. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about it. He's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Oh, to. yeah. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. And then you come up with just brilliant stuff. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was so cool. So so that's one thing I've learned from interviewing. We're like at 250 ish episodes at this point. And um, that's one thing I've learned is like all artists have basically the same imposter syndrome feel like they don't know what they're doing feel like maybe they're not good enough it's like every single one of them i'm sure that i can think of uh has had that it's just like something that they that's you just have to do it just do it anyway even if you feel that way because we all feel that way it's not because you suck it's because you know that's how that's just what happens uh if you're an artist but anyway it's called the dark art society podcast if you if you can go to darkartsociety.com and you can get to the podcast from there it's on Spotify and where it's on all the different platforms and um 
Yeah. And you can find me at, uh, chetzar.com is my website, my Instagram, everything, all my stuff is chetzar, C-H-E-T-Z-A-R. Uh, my Instagram's at chetzar. My Twitter's at chetzar. Those are where I'm mostly at. I got a Facebook page and stuff, but I do have a Patreon. I, I got a Patreon. I want to plug, um, I have a Patreon where I, I show like everything I'm working on. I do time time lapses of all my paintings. I do tutorials every month, um, art tutorials and stuff. And it's uh, patreon.com slash Chetzar. And then we have a Dark Art Society Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Dark Art Society. And also go buy three and a half grams of mushrooms and just down those babies. <laughs> Make uh, tea, we'll though. do another podcast after I do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's, a, that's a good, that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm down to come back anytime. Yeah, yeah man. So. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank All you right. so much from the bottom of my heart. That was super inspiring. Yeah, man. This was super inspiring. Uh, I hope everyone enjoyed listening to the, the one of the six year anniversaries. Cause obviously we can't have a six year anniversary without boozy. But it is, this is a very special event, and we're very proud to have been able to have Chetzar on the podcast. Thank you. So, thanks again for joining, and we will see you all next time on the Terror Table. <laughs>